wow, I, I haven't yet had a chance to journal all the craziness that has happened in the last week with this, uh, with this woman and this situation I found myself in. And I'm trying to put that behind me and get through it. And um, asking God to reestablish, you know, that He's with me and, and, and show me that He's forgiven me because I've repented and been crying so much to Him. And uh, I was just thinking about and uh, I'm on my way to this meeting and I'm a little intimidated because it's with two women at somebody's house and I'm after what I just w experienced I'm a little bit concerned about this but um, I uh, was just thinking about Laura I'm like you know you never can tell when she might show up something like that and just as those words came out of my mouth I looked over to the truck on my right passing me with a trailer so there was only about 24 inches between the back of the truck and the in the start of the trailer just long enough for me to catch the 212 and its license plate unbelievable god again i think trying to reestablish that's twice today i've seen 212 i also looked at my phone at one point and had counted 212 211 212 so i'm just believing god's going to re restore reestablish and he's going to do even in spite of the fact that i've been disobedient and i fell to temptation, I believe God is going to bring honor, um, or God is going to honor his original word to me because I repented. Okay, let me pause the recordings from April 2013 here and fill in the giant question mark or blank you may have regarding what I've just mentioned about falling into some sin with a woman and yielding to a temptation. Some of you already know this story. I've made reference to it multiple times in my recordings over the years. And there is a recording on YouTube called Why God Sometimes Allows Us to Fall Into Sin where I actually told this story. And I'm going to include a recording of that actual video in its entirety for you right here so that you can hear this story. The timeline of when this happened was March, tail end of March of 2013. The video that you heard on YouTube was posted about three years ago in 2016. So about three years after this happened, God had me share this as an illustration. And so here will be the story and the message. May God bless you as you listen. And then after this, we'll return to the real-time journal recordings. I want to share a story about something that happened in my life, what I consider to be my biggest sin failure ever, and how God has dealt with me through it and afterwards. And it will provide hope to those who have stumbled, those who think, this is it, I've messed up, God is no longer able to use me, I'm no longer going to have the relationship with God that I had, everything I worked so hard for is now gone, it's ruined, and God now... Rather than looking at me as the apple of his eye, he looks down his nose at me in shame. So on my way to her house, the Lord speaks to me loud and clear multiple times. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He says it to me so loudly, so clearly, that I said these words to the Lord. It's okay, God. I got it. Those words were the signature on my own failure certificate. My own hands around my own throat, choking myself, not literally, but spiritually saying, how dare you do this, you idiot? Who do you think you are? You had gotten so far. Look what you threw away. All this training. You've seen God do this. You've seen God speak. You see God deliver you. You see God do all these awesome things and provide for you. What have you done, you idiot? How could you have possibly done this? You're farther along than this. You're stronger than this. There it was. This is a message about the frustration and the shame of falling into sin unexpectedly. It's about finding meaning and comfort when you have collapsed and you have fallen into a temptation 
and you have sinned when you least expected it, when you felt perhaps it was highly unlikely that you could have ever done this. You see it very much as a failure. And perhaps there's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of condemnation, a lot of anxiety, and even a temptation greater to now try to put that fire of shame out by adding more sin to it. And this is a trap that the devil gets people into. So I want to share a personal illustration in this recording uh, that, that the Father has helped me to see. It's a principle. Now, parts of what I'm going to share are not going to apply to everyone. Certainly, if you have found yourself in the situation I just described where you have fallen into sin, not a small thing, but a major blunder that has arrested you in your heart, that has basically paralyzed your spiritual progress, then this will apply. It will also apply, I think, to people who are actually servants of the Lord. In some way or some fashion, you have a, 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 a somewhat decent amount of your time that's dedicated to serving uh, the Lord's people. Perhaps that would be something that will identify. And I also wish to put in a disclaimer in this message right up front, that although I have found an extraordinary similarity in something that happened in my life, that happened in the Apostle Peter's life, I would not at all want anybody to ever think that the motive for even sharing this similarity is to honor and exalt myself by saying, Oh, wow, look, I'm just like Peter. Now, this is not a temptation of pride at all. Uh, This is a glorious, glorious example of how consistent our Father is in His dealings with His children. The scripture in Hebrews that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is seen so many times in my own journal entries when I'm able to see principles, I'm able to see God's dealings with me, I'm able to see the things He's teaching me, I'm able to see the experiences that I'm having with Him in scriptures that are thousands of years old. It's truly extraordinary when you begin to see that the Father in heaven, a God of all consistency, many of whom claim He's the God of has been. It's so encouraging when you see who this quote God of has been is still at work in the here and now. That He still works with His children the exact same way. Still takes them through the same difficulties. Still often blesses them in the same way. Still requires them to wait. Still requires them to suffer. And still has dealings with His children today, the contemporary Christians, exactly as He did the fathers of our faith. And the patriarchs. And in the early church leaders, even the apostles. I mean, after all, we must understand the reality that Peter and Paul and James and John, these men were not any better than we are. We look at them and say, wow. And yes, their names are written on the foundations of the new heaven and the new earth that will come down. They are the foundation of the church. But what made them special was God's calling and whose they belong to and what he particularly called them for, not themselves. There was nothing in themselves to make them any more special, I believe, than, than myself or you. Peter has the same miserable, weak, wretched flesh that I do. And Peter also has the same glorious, omnipotent, all-powerful, mighty, and Holy Spirit living in him that I do and that you do. The Bible is very clear and that God is not a God of favoritism. And we see Paul regularly bragging that he's full of weakness and God has chosen to use him in his weakness and that God's strength is made perfect in his weakness. And he then goes on to say, because of this, I will boast of my weakness all the more. And that's one thing that God is giving me a desire to do more and more is to boast of my weakness, to be even more transparent, 
and to share with people. This is how frail I am. This is how weak I am. And this is how my father has dealt with me in this. And this is how my father has forgiven me in this. And this is how my father has strengthened me in this. And this is how my father has built me up to be used in this. And these principles apply not just to me. They apply to anyone. In fact, who am I? I could say that the experience I'm going to share in this recording could apply to anyone. It could be anybody's experience. And if it was somebody else's experience other than mine, it doesn't make them better than me. Perhaps it makes them better off. But there is something extraordinary, and I feel compelled to share this. Again, because there are atheists abounding everywhere who want to claim God does not exist. He's not real. He's a, he's a delusion of your mind, and you're schizophrenic because you think you're hearing thoughts. Uh, Jesus is invisible for a reason, because he does not exist. And religion is evil, it's all about mind control. I would agree on that. <laughs> I would agree on those parts largely. But there is this real relationship available to a real present God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's little evidences like what I'm going to share in this recording. Little tiny things like this that you just go, wow. Okay, so setting the precedent, the goal of this recording is to help encourage people that have stumbled and help to showcase what God's reason is sometimes for even allowing our biggest failures. And so I want to share a little story about a 21-year-old young lady who got herself into a mess that even got me thinking about to share this recording. So last night I received a contact from a lady that I had been encouraging via email and some recordings here and there for some time. We lost contact for some time. She stumbled in her faith and she came back and she recently shared how she had gone back after six months of working so hard to get her life in order and to put God first and to focus on her career and getting things just to work well in her life. She slipped back into an old besetting sin that has had a death grip on her of smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol. And so she had a failure. And this failure put her immediately into the darkness of despair. She was ready to throw in the towel. She was ready to quit. She felt that she was completely a failure in God's eyes, could no longer be useful to Him, etc., etc. So I began to encourage her by telling her the following story of my own greatest failure, which incidentally I have discovered piggybacks almost perfectly, point by point, to what happened to the Apostle Peter. The story with Apostle Peter, he's been highly trained for three years by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He has not read about discipleship. He has been a founding member of discipleship. He has not heard. He has seen. He has not watched others participate. He has been the participator. He has rubbed shoulders. He has kicked His feet in the same exact dust as the Lord Jesus Christ. He has breathed the same dusty air in some of these little huts they would have been in and these deserts they have crossed. He has held in his hand the same piece of bread that our Lord Jesus Christ has eaten. He has drinking from the same exact cup that our Lord has drank. He has, he has literally had the full experience of being trained by the greatest of all Christians, Christ himself. And towards the very end, as Christ is about ready to leave, he explains to the disciples that the shepherd will be struck and that all the sheep will scatter, meaning the disciples, they're going to run, they're going to leave him. And Peter, boldly, convincingly, zealously, demanding to be heard by the Lord, says, Lord, even if all the rest forsake you and leave you, and abandon you. I will never leave you. In fact, I am prepared to die for you and to die with you. 
Who wouldn't be able to say that in that moment after three years of walking alongside the Lord Christ himself, seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, all of the ones, by the way, that you and I don't know about because even John himself says that if an account were undertaken to try to list all of the things that Jesus Christ did and all of the things that happened, there's not enough books in the world to hold it. So we're talking about massive amounts of evidence, more than any Christian that's ever lived could have, Peter has, that Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, the Messiah. And he says confidently, Lord, I am prepared to die for you. And this is when we see two accounts in Scripture, one where Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And he says, I have prayed for you that after you stumble, basically, you'll get back up. And when you do so, you'll turn and strengthen your brothers. So the Lord tells him in advance, Satan has asked to have you. Satan has asked for permission for you to fall. And in another place, we see Jesus actually explain to him how this is going to happen. He tells him in advance. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Not once, not twice, not three times. Now, I'm going to showcase my sin in just a few minutes. My worst, what I consider to be my worst, as I have been a God-fearing Christian, sold out walking with the Lord. My sin is not as bad as... Peter's. It's still sin. It would still end me in death if I lived in it, but nobody would ever say that what I'm going to share about what I did is as bad as what Peter did. Peter has violated Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before man on earth, I will acknowledge him before my father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before man on earth, I will disown him before my father in heaven. I think it's important to point out that the reason why Jesus did not prevent Peter from ending up in heaven is a couple of fold. I don't want to get down a rabbit trail, but the number one thing is is that this was a one-time stumble and Peter ended up repenting. This This was an event, a single event, where he in fact falls. He in fact does denounce knowing Jesus Christ three times in one short period. So in one day, he has the worst day of his life. He fails miserably, but he repents, as we know. So Matthew 10, 32, 33 would be somebody who commits to living in that. If you want to continue to deny, it doesn't mean that if you deny him one time, you're out. If you stumble, perhaps God would even call you to stumble in that way. And so that's why I want to get to this point of what that looks like. What is God's motive behind allowing things like this to happen? So we think to Peter, we think, okay, can you imagine after all that he's seen in this one moment, he says, no, I've never heard, I've never seen the man. I don't know who he is. I don't have anything to do with this guy. Now you could maybe understand under real pressure for fear of your life because the desire to survive is very strong. You could imagine that one failure, but then you might imagine, oh gosh, I cannot believe I just did that. How dare me? I cannot do that again. But no, he does it again. And then you say to yourself, okay, Peter, two shots, all right, everybody could have a chance in their life of having their biggest failure. This is clearly yours. It can't get any worse than this. But no, here comes a third time. And you say to yourself, Peter, how in the world could you have done this? I mean, can you imagine the grip on your conscience, the chokehold of your conscience accusing you even after the first time of denying Jesus Christ, everything in you, your spirit in you is screaming, no, turn the other way. This is bad. Don't do this. And what do you do? You throw more bad after bad. It gets worse. It gets worse. He does this three times. Can you imagine the fire of his conscience? Can you imagine the remorse, the guilt, the fires of shame burning in his soul? The pain, the humiliation. Can you imagine the utter shock? He thinks to himself, what? I'm the man who walked on water. 
I, I walked on water to this man and I just denied him. I saw so many miracles. I saw the fish multiply, the bread multiply. I saw the blind eyes open, the deaf ears unstopped. I saw the lame walk. I saw the dead rise. How is it possible? How in the world could I have done this? There's no way. There's no way I could have failed this way. I've seen too much. I've done too much. I cast devils out of people. I, I, I touched people that were sick and they were instantly healed. I, I, I literally consumed myself with this man and his teaching and I love him more than anything more than life himself I pulled my own fishing business up on the shore and I left it I left my nets my possessions I left my my father I left him sitting in the boat to follow this man I left my wife and my daughter to be taken care of by somebody else for a time because I was going to give up every financial resource I had to give my life to follow this man. How can I now deny him? You might imagine, I mean, this is not like a three-day convention that Peter went to where he got really excited about a person, a leader, or an idea, or an organization, and then a week later it had kind of faded away. No, this was not a weekend. Uh, this was not a retreat. This was not a conference that Peter had gotten all jazzed up, higher than a kite, and then crash lands three days later from the high. This wasn't a motivational seminar. This was the Son of God. And this was three plus years of his life, moment by moment, day by day, experiencing the power of God, looking into the eyes of God every day. How can this possibly be? I mean, think about the reality of how difficult it would be to deny Jesus Christ after you've walked with him for three years. And you've, you've slept in the same ground and you've cried in the same gardens and you've prayed in the same caves and you've walked in the same deserts and you've ate in the same homes. How can you, how could you possibly find the capacity to deny him? And yet, the Lord comes to him and says, I tell you, Peter, this is going to happen to you. I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine the turmoil this must have created, the unbelief. I mean, perhaps he thinks Jesus has gone senile. Perhaps he thinks, oh, surely the Lord's just not thinking correctly. I mean, he's, he's, He's saying that he's going to be betrayed. Maybe he's under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of mental anguish. Maybe he just doesn't understand. And perhaps maybe he's just trying to share this to me, to encourage me, to, to comfort me, and to motivate me to fight harder. That's what it is. He's just motivating me to try harder so that I don't fall because surely the Lord would be pleased if I overcome whatever temptation's coming my way. Surely it will show my dedication and my devotion. Perhaps the Lord is now showing me it's time to be able to stand on my own two feet as a Christian, my man before my God. And even when he leaves, I'll be able to stand. Now, this is, maybe this is, the Lord is just simply wanting to motivate me to grow up and to be able to stand on my own two legs before God. That's what it is. Surely I won't fail. I'm going to try harder. I mean, after all I've seen, there's no way I'm going to fall. There's no way. The rest of the story we know. The rest of the story we know. He failed. He did it once. He did it twice. He did it three times. He failed. And then he does something beautiful in God's eyes. He completely breaks. Oh, how I wish I could have been with Peter just for a few moments. Just to even lay eyes upon him as he goes through this brokenness. This unreal experience of having literally fallen out of the skies as, it, as if it were. And he goes low, and he goes low, and he goes lower. Each blow, each failure takes him lower and lower before God. I mean, this man, this mighty apostle, is now left a worm who's drying up before our very eyes. He's just drying up. He's, he's shriveling into nothing. And you might imagine in this moment, I'm over. I'm finished. 
There's nothing left for me. I just threw away three plus years of the most unbelievable, indescribable experience of my entire life. I just flushed it down the toilet. It's gone. I'm never going to be useful to the Lord ever again. I'm certainly going to now end up in hell because I remember the Lord teaching that whoever acknowledges me will be acknowledged and whoever denies me will be denied. He told me he was going to build the church using us and he was going to use me and he did these special miracles with me and he asked me to get out of the boat and I was there when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Sure, I got ahead of myself zealously and said some things that didn't make sense to anybody around, but now I'm going to be completely useless. God can never use me again. What have I done? How in the world did this happen? I, I don't think no matter how much time I tried to spend bringing this reality to life or bring, creating a picture, I don't, I don't think we can ever understand the true color. We can't see all the pixels, all the megapixels in this, in this picture. This is horrendous. This is catastrophic. I mean, this is the angels of heaven entertainment. They're watching this. Can you imagine the anxiety they fear? Because they know what Peter doesn't know. They know he's getting ready to be pushed to the very edge of his faith. He could be pushed in such a way that he will collapse because he does have a part to play in this battle. I can imagine the tense. I even imagine in the Father's heart what he must have felt. Because although he's omniscient and he knew in advance, he does not experience things until they actually happen. Now we know this when we see Abraham being told by God, now I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withhold your son, your only son from me. You say, well, how is it possible that an omniscient God who knows everything didn't already know that? And I heard a preacher one time explain that he knew it in mind. He did not yet know it through experience. God experienced that. It's just like Christ going to the cross. He knew that was coming. He knew the experience of being separated from his father was coming. But now it was time to know it through experience. And so I might imagine the heart of the father looking over Peter. Knowing what I know of my daddy. He would have had compassion. All of heaven would have been watching this moment. And so... Here comes my point of the story and then the lessons thereof. As it turns out, God helped me to see some some very peculiar similarities between Peter's stumbling and my stumbling. On October 30th of 2009, I completely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I had been what I called and claimed to be a Christian for 19 years. So starting October of 2009, this begins a three-year of full-on discipleship. I mean, very, very intense. Reading the Bible four to five hours a day before even nine o'clock in the morning, I'd read the Bible for four hours. Everything about God, walking hundreds of miles in the trail, seeking Him, learning from Him, reading the very best books I could find, studying scriptures, memorizing scriptures, and then beginning to teach other people what I was learning. Very intense, even starting a a little ministry eventually and building up my story to tell people what had happened. There was this, this move and God eventually called me away from secular work and said, I want you to focus on this. So three years of intense training is still happening into October or November of 2012. Three years, just like Peter. Peter had been with Christ three years of training and then he fell. I had been with Christ from October 30th of 2009 into October, November of 2012. That's three year period. I feel I'm at my highest and strongest spiritually. I've never known Christianity like what I now know of Christ through these three year period. I'm starting to see things I've never seen. I'm starting to understand things I've never understand. I know my daddy. He's communicating to me. He's guiding and directing me. He's providing me amazing 
guidance through all of my challenges. And here it is. Three years at my high point. I meet a woman. I'm always handing out my cards to try to help people. Losing everything to find it all. God helps me to see people that are hurting. And I'll approach them. Even people sometimes crying at the coffee store. And I'll say, please take this. Perhaps God wants to share something with you and encourage you with it. And so I start handing out cards. And I I see this one lady. I see her in church. I end up trying to approach her to give her a card. I miss the opportunity. And it just so happens that on my way home, I see her at a business and recognize that's probably where she works. And so I send an email to her. I find her on that business and send an email to her. Well, I end up seeing her several times. She's very standoffish, very aloof. And over a period of a couple of months, she slowly warms up and she realizes I'm not somebody weird and trying to pursue her that I really am this ministry kid. She's attractive. She's very successful. She's very wealthy, multimillionaire. So I let her know in an email one time after a few months, after having seen her, we would sometimes run into each other coming in and out of Starbucks and she'd come over and say hi. And she went from being this very aloof person, very professional but very aloof, very distant. It was all very superficial talk, so it felt safe. Even though it's an opposite sex relationship, it felt safe. I was single. I'm already holding on to who I believe is a promise from God for my future wife. It is not her. And so at one point, I made an email to her to say, listen, I wonder if you have anybody in your life that's in your life to help you Or is everybody in your life just because they can get something from you? If you want somebody in your life that doesn't want anything from you, I'd be happy to be a friend. There was this, this, I could see this emotional pain in this lady. And I was intrigued by it and I wanted to help her. I don't like seeing people that are hurting. This one was especially difficult to resist because of the fact she was successful in business. She was very much like an old Michael Criswell, perhaps wound even more tight. Well... One thing leads to another. She ends up over at a table one time where I'm sitting with some other people that I've been discipling. And the idea comes up, hey, you should get together with these people you're discipling. Let's get together and do this in a group so we can all kind of meet each other. She happened to be there, so we invited her to come to the first study. She came. And something happened that night. She shared a part of her testimony that was so unbelievably similar to mine in such a very bizarre way that it was even suggested, wow, you guys really should get together and talk about that. That is ironic. Well, she invited me. She's very professional. She invited me. Hey, I have to go relieve the babysitters, but you're more than happy to come over if you want. I'll be up for a while. I really had that check in my spirit a little bit, just kind of like, hmm, but I was like, okay, everything's cool. And so, yeah, perhaps I'll do that. And I had been through three years of pretty much it being just about me and the Lord. Not a lot of friends. Uh, I had one really, really close friend, a couple here and there, but nothing amazing, nothing crazy. And I was starting to get into that season where it's okay to come out of the cave now. And so this was an opportunity I thought for platonic friendship and an opportunity for me to help her. So on my way to her house, the Lord speaks to me loud and clear. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He says it to me so clearly that I said these words to the Lord. It's okay, God. I got it. Those words were the signature on my own failure certificate. I drive to her house for the first two and a half hours. Everything is fine. She sits on one couch. I sit on the other. So everything is very on the up and up. And, and I'm sitting there going, wow, okay, this is good. Uh, she's opening up to me. She's starting to tell. I begin to ask about family. And that's where she begins to share a couple of things that had happened to her. And I began to see the root. Everything's going fine. The problem is it's now past pumpkin head time. I turn into a pumpkin head, everybody knows, after 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, my brain just starts to shut off, and I have to prepare myself to go to bed. I go to bed early, and I get up early. So now we're talking about the stimulating conversation. It pushes past 11 o'clock, and hey, would you like to have a glass of wine? I hardly ever drink a glass of wine, but I said, sure, why not? I have a glass of wine. She has a glass of wine. Next thing I know, 
uh, without going into crazy details, she arranges for us to have to sit on the same exact couch in order to watch something she wants to show me on her TV. So I end up having to move onto this couch. One thing ends up leading to another, and before I know it, she goes from being this completely docile, very respectful, very on the up and up, very platonic. I said one thing. She had showed me a picture on her phone, and I said something to her. I said, you know, it's kind of late. I said, I'm feeling a little top-heavy just from being so tired. And, and I said, I think, I said, I probably need to go get sit back a little bit here on the other couch. I said, I'm actually almost kind of feeling that uncomfortable attraction thing a little bit. And it backfired. She came on to me like a scene in a movie. It was something I was completely not prepared for. And I was shocked. It was like being run over for a, by a train and not having any idea that the train was ever even coming down the tracks. And I spent literally 15 minutes or more trying to tell her, no, we cannot do this. We're Christians. We go to the same church. Think about what would the pastor think? This, oh, and she started coming up with all these excuses. She had power over me. My pride. Here I was, this guy who had no money, no job, no salary. I have, I'm with this attractive woman who is a multi-millionaire. She had power over me. Now, I'm okay with the guys at Starbucks, the business guys. I had no fear of man with them. I'm able to stand with the worst of sinners in their own gigantic corporate building and pray for them in front of everybody as they're saying, GD this and GD that and GD this, but then turn and ask him to pray for his cancer in front of everybody. I have no problem doing that. But this woman, again, my desire for a future wife, being a healthy man, this woman was used and I had weakness. And instead of being like Joseph and getting up and running out of the house, I was too afraid of what she might think. And I began to wonder, what would this woman say or do if I got up and ran out? Could it be like Potiphar's wife where she accuses me? What do I do? And I just kept thinking, if I just delay her long enough and I just keep pushing her off and just keep telling her, no, it's going to be okay, that we can stop doing this and she'll finally get the picture, she out-persisted me. She out-persisted me. I leave frustrated and angry. There's fall number one. After I told the Lord already, God, I got this. There's fall number one. It gets much, much worse. The next day, first of all, I'm driving home completely shamed going, how in the world did this just happen? I'm driving home. I'm terrified. The next day, I at least began to think about her. How can I try to restore some normal relationship with this lady? Perhaps I can help her see that she had, you know, one glass too many of wine and she wasn't thinking straight and that I just still want to be her friend and I can try to help her. So she agreed to meet with me and there was no wine. It was at lunch and I allowed it to happen again. That was the second time. I'm devastated. Now I'm starting to be on my guard and going, I'm not going to let this happen again. I agree to meet her a third time on Sunday for a third try. And it happens a third time. Anybody that could ever listen to this and not say, what kind of an absolute imbecile are you to have done this? First of all, first time, second time, third time, what are you? I ended up crying for three days on and off, I became like a spiritual zombie. The defeat was so hard. The blow was so crushing. I was done. I said, that's it. Here I have waited for a specific woman that I believe God showed me that would be my wife. Here I have resisted relationship after relationship, people trying to hook me up with somebody else, other women approaching me, my own temptations to approach other women. And here I have allowed this to happen. I felt in my heart as if I had cheated on my future wife, even though I had never even had a day with her. But I was holding myself for her. I was being loyal to her to wait for her. And now this has happened. And I didn't even want it to happen. And I fought it off. You can be put in a place where your flesh takes over. And if somebody put a Bible on your forehead, it wouldn't matter. So I had to learn to take responsibility. I put myself in that situation. But God was not going to allow me to escape failing and stumbling into sin. God was allowing me to stumble for a reason. 
I remember the first time I read in a few accounts of other people, godly men that taught that many times God has allowed a great man or woman of God, somebody who really loves him, to stumble and come crashing down into some unthinkable sin, all for the purposes of here comes the lesson, breaking us. Just as Peter needed to be broken of his, Lord, I will never renounce faith in you. I will never flee from you. I will never lose faith in you. And I am prepared to die for you. I, 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 I. God needed in his loving mercy and wisdom to break the eye out of Peter because he knew he had a plan and a mission for him. He knew that he needed to be broken of his self-sufficiency. He needed to be knowing that that effort, everything he could muster up was worthless and that it would only lead to greater tragedy. So God in his loving mercy breaks the hip of a Jacob And he broke the spirit of Peter. And he broke the spirit of Michael for three days. And what was so amazing to me as I began to realize, Peter declared in advance, I will not fall. First of all, Jesus told him in advance, Satan has come after you. He wants to sift you. The Lord had showed me the same thing. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So Peter was warned. So was I. Peter declared, I got this. So did I. Peter failed and stumbled three times, and so did I. This happened after three years of training by the Lord himself, and so did I. Albeit mine was not in bodily person. The Lord had been training me and teaching me through his spirit. And I saw this and I said, my goodness. And and this is only years later because we're talking about over three years ago that this happened. And so now I am looking back on that moment of complete failure, thinking I'm done. Here I was going to start a ministry. This happened just as I was about to start a ministry. Guess who else was about to start a ministry when this happened? Peter. And again, I'm not saying this so that my name can be connected or compared to Peter. I'm saying it's possible God will allow this to even happen to you. God will possibly allow. He doesn't think of you any less than he does Peter. And God in his righteousness, in his holiness, has allowed some of his best faithful stewards to fall, to be broken, not crushed, but to be broken, crushed, but not beyond being lifted back up. And I got up for three days and I cried and I said, God, how could I have done this? I'm never going to be useful to you ever again. I can't believe it. I've just ruined my future wife and all that. God, no. Within a matter of days, God would begin speaking back to me. First of all, he stopped speaking when I stumble into sin. And then I completely confessed. I completely repented. And God immediately, get this, oh fallen brother or sister, God immediately forgave me. He went right back to speaking to me the way he does and confirmed immediately that I was back in the fold, that it was okay. Now he allowed me to feel the pain of my bad choices. It wasn't like he said, come here, boy, let me just rub it all good and make it all good. No, he was going to allow me to feel for a time the pain. I believe it was about a week or two later where I realized that I still had my hands around my own throat. My own hands around my own throat, choking myself, not literally, but spiritually saying, how dare you do this, you idiot? Who do you think you are? You had gotten so far. Look what you threw away. All this training. You've seen God do this. You've seen God speak. You see God deliver you. You see God do all these awesome things and provide for you. What have you done, you idiot? How could you have possibly done this? You're farther along than this. You're stronger than this. There it was. That's all the stuff that God wanted to break out of me. (laughs) That is all the stuff that the Father says, Oh, that has got to go. That has got to go. And man, it hurts so bad. I felt like such a failure. God will never use me again. Never mind hundreds of people later. Suicide preventions more than I even can probably count off the top of my head right now. God blessing me in spite of my failing. 
The failure was a blessing from heaven to break me, to put me in a position to stay humble and to stay low and to know I cannot do this. I must yield my weakness to his strength. Now, this is the great mystery of a lesson that escapes so many of us Christians. We don't understand that God desperately needs us to be weak. If we yield our weakness to him, we are kept by his strength. If we are strong and independent of him, he will surely, if he loves us, bring brokenness. He did it for Peter. He did it for me. He's done it for countless others. He'll do it for you. Let the lesson be that when we fail and when we stumble, we need not worry that we are completely useless, never to be known or loved by God, and all that he's done in our life is gone. No, God is still using everything today that he built in me the three years even before I stumbled. It's all being used. And not only that, but God had given me a promise for a financial miracle before I stumbled. The miracle had not yet shown up. I stumble. Surely God will not reward me now. And here came this amazing gift. I received a free car in a very, very amazing way from a person I had never even met or known without ever even asking just a week or so after I believe it was this major failure they're allowing me to know see son this is my grace this is my grace I'm not going to withhold all good things from you just because you stumbled now if I would have chosen let me finish it with this if I would have chosen to walk in that sin because the opportunity was there This lady wanted a relationship with me. She was very sincere and she continued and she said, look, let's have a relationship. I wasn't interested. That's not how a relationship starts. That's not how a godly relationship starts. That's how the devil starts relationships. And I knew this woman was not God's best for me. This was not what I was interested in. Although some people said, why didn't you just have a relationship with her? I'm like, that's not what God wanted me to do. That might be like saying to Peter, why didn't you just stay with the devil since you sided with him for three times? No, that's not God's will. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. And I wanted God's best. I didn't want this compromised, dirty, mucky muck thing that had just happened to me to be the foundation of a relationship. But now supposing I didn't fear the Lord. Supposing I wanted to take advantage of the fact, hey, I'm single I could be having sex every night. She could become like my sugar mama. I don't have hardly anything. I barely had two nickels to rub together. This lady's a multimillionaire, and she's saying, you don't have any idea what you're walking away from. This was the temptation. It wasn't even just for sex. This would have been an opportunity for me to have a life again, a sense of dignity and a freedom to do what I wanted to do. She pursued me in a big way, and I kept saying, no, no, but I could have walked in it. If I would have walked in it, I could have ended everything that God was wanting to do in my life one day. If I would have gone for the low-hanging fruit, if I would have walked according to the flesh and gratified the desires of my earthly nature, rather than walking by the Spirit, if I wouldn't have chose to allow myself to suffer, because there were some real times of temptation where the devil would go, do you have any idea what you're saying no to? You're going to sit around and wait for a mystery woman that barely knows you exist? You've already ruined it with her, big guy. You might as well take this. Where are you going to find something better than this? She's attractive. She's single. She's a millionaire. She wants to have sex with you. Oh, I could tell you of recording after recording I made weeks of weeks of dealing with this and being sitting in Starbucks, and there she comes over and over and over. The temptation And God was going to ask me, suffer yourself to sit still. Suffer yourself not to compromise. Suffer yourself to obey me. Suffer yourself to wait for my best for your life. But Lord, I've already made such a big mistake. Maybe this is the best I can ever get. Surely you won't give me your best after I've messed up. Oh, think of Moses. Oh, think of David. Oh, think of any number of people that we know of. Peter. Peter certainly wasn't qualified for my best. Did he get it? Read on the day of Pentecost. Who preached the best sermon that's ever been preached in the Bible? Who got the same exact powerful anointing? Who got his name written on pages in the book that we read thousands of years later? A failure. 
I had sex three times. It humiliated me. It was horrible. It was a sin. I hated it. But gee, many Christmas, Peter denied the Lord. He denied God three times before men made of dust. Weakness. We all have it. It's a wonderful opportunity to fail unless we learn how to yield it to the Lord. I pray you're encouraged by this message and that no matter what you've done that have failed or whatever failures may come in your future, perhaps one day you really want to serve God with all of your heart. And perhaps God sees that you're trying to do it a little too much in your own strength. God sees you're like a Jacob. You've been able to get what you want, when you want, and how you want most of your life. And God now will touch your hip and break you. You may walk with a limp the rest of your life. I certainly know I will. There's very, very few days that I can look down my nose at anybody else's sin that they've ever been in or the stumbles and the follies without God reminding me, aha, do you remember? So God has multi-purposed this failure. He's helped me to find strength in my weakness through Him. He's helped me to stay humble, recognizing I am not better than anybody and I could fall just as easily as anybody. And He's helped me to have compassion on those who have either already fallen or those who will fall surely in the future without being a hypocrite and looking down on them or thinking too highly of myself. I'm able to then help them and be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus to lift them up, to dust them off and say, you will live to fight another day. You must respond in humility and in faith, but God will redeem you and God will restore all of this nonsense and he'll turn all of the very best of the devil's tricks and schemes and tactics and strategies against you for his glory and your good. Be blessed, my friend, in Jesus' name.